Last night I told Bob he was my favorite singer. And then I noticed that Matt McElroy was standing there, and I said, oh, uh, Matt, next time you sing, you'll be my favorite singer. And uh, next time you sing, you'll be my favorite singer. So, yeah, you're welcome. Um, I, my son-in-laws, you know, I try to notice if there's more than one around because I usually say to them, you're my favorite son-in-law. And, uh, and my girls the same way. And with some of you even, I say, ah, you're my favorite teacher or whatever it is. Uh, I have a plaque. It said, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And somebody stole it while I was on my bicycle trip. I think as Miss Krause, I think she took it out of my office. I don't know for sure, but uh, I mean, that's a good one. Um, you know, this is my favorite church. Uh, really, it is. And uh, we're going through First and Second Thessalonians. Paul wrote this letter, and one of the things that I said was that this is, uh, was his favorite church. He planted a lot of churches and wrote to a lot of churches, but this was his favorite. And as you read the letters, you can see that. There's all kinds of evidence that that's actually true. This was the church that Paul liked better than any of his other churches. And so we're looking at it, and we want to be God's favorite church. Does he have Favorites? Well, try reading Revelations 2 and 3 sometime. There's seven churches back to back in those two chapters. One of them, there's nothing good said about him. He says, I have this against you. Nothing but bad stuff mentioned. Another one, uh, there's a mixture. Some good, some bad. And then two of them, nothing bad said. Only good stuff. It's pretty clear that the church of Laodicea, excuse me, of uh, Philadelphia and Smyrna, they're his favorites, the way he talks to them. So could we be his favorite? I'd like to be. What would it take? What is it about a church that when God looks at the church, he says, <clears throat> I love that church. That is a good church, really, really great church. Well, that's the church of Thessalonica. So we're going to look at what uh, they did, how they lived, how they acted, what their priorities were, and see what it was that attracted Paul's uh, devotion to them and also God's. Let me read to you the first chapter again. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, beloved by God, beloved by God, He loves everybody, but some are His favorites. His choice of you, His choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So in your notes... Number one, apostles 
in the early church had great authority from God. Occasionally, someone will say to me, Pastor D, you're an apostle. I say, no, I'm not. I am a lot of things. I'm a dad, a husband, a pastor, a fisherman, but I'm not a, an apostle. They were sort of a special group of people uh, in the church when it started, and uh, they had clout. They had a stick. They had power right from God to do things that nobody else could do. I wouldn't mind it, but I don't have it, really. Uh, when the church began, it was a new thing. The old was the uh, old covenant, stone kids that lip off to dad, uh, sacrifices, bulls, lambs, all that. and then Jesus came, dies on the cross, new covenant, new thing, grace. And uh, the transition sometimes are tough. And so the leaders were given by God this special authority uh, as they led, and they've died. Acts 5, Peter was an apostle. And they're having a special offering for poor people. Ananias and Sapphira sell some property. Everybody was selling stuff, bringing the money. And they thought, you know what we'll do is we'll just kind of tell everybody we're giving it all so that we get a little glory, but we'll keep part of it for vacation. And so man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. Bringing in a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. That's what they did at the offering. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? You could do anything you want with it. You just give whatever you want. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last. I'd only, just once. That's all I would, you know, just one time is all I need. We're going to have a special offering in a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, if I could just one time. Wow, I mean, wouldn't you think that had increased giving? Huh? I don't have that clout. Peter did. Ananias fell over dead. That wasn't just anybody, that's Peter. Then the wife came in, she fell over dead. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant, have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would remove, be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, see, Paul's an apostle. In the name of our Lord Jesus, whom you, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, I, in the name of the Lord Jesus, have decided to turn this dude over to Satan, that he would be destroyed. I mean, that would be clout. Hey, buddy, straighten up. Because if you don't, I'm turning you over to the devil, and he's going to beat you up. He's going to make your life miserable. You're going to have a car wreck, lose your job, your hair's going to fall out, gopher's going to fest your yard, and you could even get sick with cancer. That's what's going to happen if I turn you over to Satan. So straighten up. 
Mm, boy, wouldn't that be cool if I could do that? But I can't. All I can say is, please, be good. Preach the word. But Paul, he had clout. He was an apostle. So he begins almost every letter he writes with that title. 1 Corinthians 9.1, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? You had to see Jesus to be an apostle. Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart. 2 Corinthians 13.10, For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity. I need not use severity. That's the apostle stick. In accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. So, here's a quiz. Paul wrote Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, wrote a lot of letters to all the churches he planted. And is there any that he did not begin with, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ? Yep. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Doesn't mention it. Why? Because they were a good church. Didn't need to get the apostles stick out. See, the church at Corinth, they were fighting, all kinds of strife and division, all kinds of immorality. So he pulled a stick out regularly with them. Church of Galatians, they were into all kinds of legalism, making rules, telling people they could do this, they couldn't do this, this was right, this was wrong, causing all kinds of problems. He got the stick out big time for them. Church of Ephesus, Philippines, they all had problems, but this church, he didn't do that. Number two, the letters to the Thessalonians are the only letter that Paul writes where he does not introduce himself as an apostle. Sort of like, I'm your brother, I'm your friend, things are good. They were a good church. Number three, the church at Thessalonica was a very healthy, good, motivated, faithful church that brought great joy to the apostle Paul. They were his favorite. And I think probably at the time they might have been God's favorite in the sense of who they were, what they did. So, JBC, we want to be God's favorite. What do we need to do? What is it about any church that makes that church a good church, healthy church, strong church? There's a number of things, but what will be the, if we were going to make the number one thing? Think what it might be, and then I'll just tell you what I think it is. See if we agree. Number four, of all the characteristics of a great church, the most important would be that they are attracting lost people to Jesus. They're attracting lost people to Jesus. If you go and work for a car manufacturing place, what are you going to do? You're going to make cars. What if you go to a shoe place? They make shoes. Whatever kind of factory you'd go to, you would make whatever they are in business to make. So, We have a mission given to us by Jesus, and he said, here's what I would like you to do. Go and make disciples. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do, to observe, to follow me. Be my witnesses. I'll give you the Spirit of God to give you the power and the strength to do it. Start here, then go to all the world. This is why you exist. This is what you're about. This is what a church is for. The body of Christ is to make disciples, to reach people for Jesus that are headed for hell uh, so they can go to heaven. That's what our mission is given to us by God. So you could ask people to go to church. You like your church? Yeah, why? Oh, the chairs are so comfortable. Oh, cool. That's what makes a great church, soft chairs. 
You like your church? Yeah, I love my church. Why? Because, uh, you know, they're always out on time. Oh. You like your church? Yeah, why? Well, because we have the greatest drummer in the world. And on the list goes. So the average individual thinks about their church and evaluates it on the basis of me. What I get. What I receive. How I'm blessed. What goes on in my life. See, God looks at a church and says, what do you do for me? What do you do for people that don't know me? What do you do for people that are going to be forever, all eternity in the lake of fire as opposed to eternity in heaven. The mission is given to us. Go make disciples. You are my witnesses. I give you the Spirit of God to make a huge difference in the lives of people. There's a lot of churches that do very little in the way of evangelism, reaching out to people. So, just a quick question. Uh, do you pray for any lost people? People you live next door to, work with, related to, people you know that aren't going to heaven. Do you have a list of people that you would pray for every day, like for five minutes? And when you pray for them regularly all day, do you invite them to a drama? Do you look for a need to meet? Do you do anything that would sort of bring them closer to Jesus? That's what churches are to do. That's what believers are supposed to do. That's what we're here for. That's our responsibility given to us by God. So what would make me a favorite of Jesus if I do what he's called me to do, what would make us as a church a favorite of Jesus is if we do what we're called to do is to go purposely, reach out to people, attract people to him so they can live in heaven forever. First Thessalonians 1.8, For the word of God has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. So Paul says, you are a great church. Here's why. The word of God goes out everywhere from you. <clears throat> Second thing is that we would be a positive example and motivation to other churches and believers. So there's a lot of non-churches uh, that really aren't even close to being a favorite. They don't do much of anything, but they can be encouraged, motivated, taught led that way by churches that are. I taught up in a seminar uh, in Portland on Friday and Saturday, and there was uh, quite a few people there. And uh, the guy that introduced me introduced me uh, as being from Jefferson Baptist, but he didn't say my name or anything about me. Just uh, our speakers from Jefferson Baptist Church. And so I did. I spoke, talked. And then afterwards, there were some people who came up and talked to me. And one of them said, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. Oh, I've heard about your church. You're the church that builds with cash. You don't borrow any money, right? I said, that's us. You know, I'd love to talk to you because we're getting ready to build, and I, th I think that would be a good thing for us to do. Yep, I'd talk to you. Another guy came up and said, aren't you the church that's planted all those churches in West Africa, and you've done just, I mean, I said, yeah, that's us. Wow, that's cool. Can I talk to you? Sure. You want to go with me? I'm going in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm not ready yet, but yeah, I would. I really would. We'd love to get involved in that. Super. Another guy comes up and says, aren't you that church that prays? Not as much as I'd like, but yeah, we pray probably more than most. Um, and then somebody came up and said, huh. he said, Jefferson Baptist Church, isn't that the church with the crazy pastor? <laughs> I said, yeah, I heard that. Um, so I, 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 you know, I told him I was him. I said, oh, oh. So then he started talking bicycling. 
So, you know, it's good to have a reputation, whether the church is 1 Thessalonians 1, 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia. You became an example to all the believers, all the churches in Macedonia and in Achaia. So, if a guy walks up to me and said, we want to become a good church, a blessed church, a powerful church, we want to become a church that reaches lost people, what would be the key to that. You know, most of the time when someone asks me that, they're wanting a program. Uh, that, you know, and there, there's nothing wrong with the program, but there is a character trait. There's a foundation that has to exist in a church if they're going to be a church that reaches lost people. And uh, number six, the key ingredient to their, in their life that made them attractive was their joy in the midst of trials. Joy in the midst of trials. Circle that if you're writing notes. Joy in the midst of trials. Anybody can be happy when everything's going well. It takes a special character to have joy in the midst of trials when things are going bad, but that character trait is what allows God to work through you and to bring people to Jesus. So on the bicycle trip, two months, I wrote a blog, uh, but I didn't hardly read much in Facebook didn't have time. I didn't read the news much because I didn't really have time. I did check out the basketball scores and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, March Madness was in full bore when we laughed at college games and so I, I did check that out. But, you know, I didn't read much of the other And so when I got home after two months and started reading Facebook and started reading the news, it was like, oh, this is depressing. And I thought, it's Two months, but it's like 10 times worse than it was when I left. Is that possible? Um, you mean politics, economy? It's just everybody's life is bad, falling apart. Everybody's miserable. They're cynical. They're angry. They're bitter. They're frustrated. It's just kind of general kind of a thing. And uh, so now is our time. Now is our time. We want to be a church that reaches lost people now is when we can do that. We can do it effectively. We can do it rapidly. We can do it well during times like what we are in when it's dark and people don't have answers and they have no hope and they're cynical and they're bitter and they have no joy and they want it desperately and they don't know where to get it. If we are people who rejoice and live life with joy in the midst of trials, we will become incredibly powerful and useful and attractive to lost people. Our time is now. But the problem is there's a whole lot of believers who act just like the world does, and then we're totally useless to God. I remember my dad <clears throat> would tell stories. He was the world's greatest storyteller, and favorite story was World War II. He went through the war, was on all kinds of action, it's all kinds of stuff, and he'd tell stories about planes and kamikaze pilots and being out in the ocean for a couple of days. and We love to hear those stories, but the second favorite stories were the Depression era. He lived in the Depression. One time I asked him as a kid, and I said, Dad, what, what, what makes depressions? How come it happened? He took a two-by-four, and he drove a 20-penny nail in it, and he put it in a bucket of water that was sitting there, and there was a bunch of uh, washers there, and he took a washer, and he put it on the 20-penny nail, and then he took another one, put it on the 20-penny nail. I'm kind of watching, wondering what's going on. And then he took another one, put it on a 20-penny nail. Pretty soon he took a washer, put it on that 20-penny nail, and the thing went boop, upside down. 
He said, that's the depression. It happened just like that. Every one of those washers is a little bit of debt. Little bit of debt. Little bit of debt. Pretty soon, boop. It's a mess. He said everybody tried to blame somebody and everybody tried to come up with the answer, but that's what it was. He said, you. He said, you have choice all the time of paying cash, going in debt. Every time you go in debt, another washer, another washer. It's easier. Every time you put one on there to put another one on, pretty soon the whole thing is a mess. Just don't start. Don't put the first washer on. I was reading the other day about our economy and our national debt, and I thought, you know, I think any second now the last washer is going on. And everybody is going to be in despair. But I'm not. Because I know who's in charge, and I can have joy in the midst of trials. I can choose, I can choose, I can choose to do that. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, they got martyred when they became believers often. Uh, they got killed because they were trusting in Christ, but they did anyway. 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged. The love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. They had joy in the midst of trials. And that's what made them a great church. That's what made them Paul's favorite. That's what made them a church that attracted people to God and to faith in God was they had joy in the midst of trial. See, you choose that. You choose that. Um, you're not joyful because everything goes well. You're joyful because you choose to be. And when you are, you become powerful and effective and attractive. Philippians 2.14, do all things, all things, all things, that means, want to know the Greek? That means all things. Without grumbling, without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, crooked and perverse generation. You know, I got back home and I was reading the news. You know what the big deal is in the news? Which bathroom I go to? You've got to be kidding me. Do we live in a crooked and perverse generation? You will appear like a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, a dark world. Now's our time. Now is our time to make a huge difference when everything goes bad, when the boat goes upside down. And people don't know what tomorrow holds and they're worried and they're fearful and they're struggling and they're cynical and they're bitter and they're angry and all the stuff in the news about the politics and the economy and people getting their heads chopped off. And you think, wow. In the midst of the darkness, that's when we can be most effective. That's our time. Our time is now. But you have to, you have to act like you have hope, like somebody besides the government's in charge. You have to have trust in Jesus. 
James 5, 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Wow. I mean, if God were still killing people when they sinned, we would not have too many people around, would we? Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. The judge is standing right at the door. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, always. There's always something, always something that you can say thank you to God about. 1 Thessalonians, short verse. You can memorize this one. Rejoice always. That's it. That's a better verse than Jesus wept. Some of you got it down already. So, how are you going to pull that off? Some of you are thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Choose joy. Choose happiness in spite of life. Now, there's a key. There's a foundational key. The Thessalonians had it. They did it. A major reason that the joy was so prevalent in their church was because they focused on going to heaven. They focused on going to heaven. And that's not far away, really. It's a blink of an eye, your life. It's a vapor that's here for a moment, then gone. Uh, and I think, I'm 67 years old, and it seemed like yesterday that I graduated from high school. Man, time goes fast, and it's going to go even faster. I don't have that much time. I'm stepping into heaven. I'm going to get a new body. Um, one of the guys that I hadn't seen for 15 years at this conference that I went to, he was a pastor in Washington, had been in one of my accountability groups, and then uh, his church started falling apart, and, uh, and one of his kids started going sideways, and he developed some major health issues, and I, he just kind of bailed on me. I didn't see him. He was at the conference. He walked up and said, Hey, D, good to see you. I couldn't remember his name. He had a name tag on. Hey, good to see you too. And so I kind of remembered where he was, and we started talking about the old times. And he said, I read your blog on your bicycle trip. I said, Oh, thank you. He said, uh, You have Parkinson's? I said, Yeah. He says, So, is it okay? You mean your pastor and all right? Oh, no problem. It's, it's okay. My wife gives me all kinds of sympathy. You know, I'm kind of liking it, personally. Uh, and he said, I, I read that uh, your, your bladder died. Yeah, it's dead. You got to use a catheter three times a day? Yeah. First couple of weeks was a bummer. I fainted every time I did. But no big deal now. I said, yeah, it's kind of handy. You have to go when you have to go. I get to go when I want to go. Uh, he said, so you're not bitter at God? I says, yeah. It ain't going to be that long. I'm getting a new body. And it won't be a problem then. So he was a little bit, uh, huh. You can choose to rejoice no matter what's going on in your life because you're going to heaven and it's not that far away. First Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that that is Jesus who rescues us, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And again in 1 Thessalonians, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Do you know when that's happening, by the way? On my 80th birthday. Could be. Israel was born as a state in 1948. I was born in 1948. Uh, Psalm says in Psalm 49 that a generation, 80 years, Jesus said this generation will not pass away. Just a thought. 13 years to get 
cranking. Jesus is coming. I said so. And uh, he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. That is going to be so cool. I mean, whoo. Caught up together with Jesus in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We shall always be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Comfort one another. That means give joy to each other. That's where we're going. Second Thessalonians 1 7. To give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, eternal, eternal, forever and ever and ever destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. So we have this crowd who haven't believed and us who have. And we're responsible before God to attract those people. And you can talk to them about the Bible, you can talk to them about church, but you know what works is when they see it's real. When they see it's real. And uh, somebody who says, I believe in Jesus and whines and fusses like everybody else has no uh, basis for saying it's real. Uh, when you have joy in the midst of trials, joy in the midst of trials, then you are attractive. You appear as a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. People will come to faith in Jesus because of your joy, because you choose joy, your happiness, because you choose happiness. And you make a commitment. I'm not going to grumble about anything. I'm not going to fuss about anything. I'm not going to whine about life no matter what it is. God is in control, and he loves me. I'm going to heaven. And it really doesn't matter how uncomfortable our life is now because we're going to heaven, and when we get there, it's going to be awesome. In the meantime, we want to attract people to Jesus. Our time is now. And so if we want to be a great church, we've got to be a church that rejoices always. If we want to be a great church, we've got to be a church that doesn't whine and fuss about anything, that doesn't judge other people, that is always full of joy and happiness because we choose to be in spite of life. They will want to know. They will want to know what we have and we can tell them. Um, that's a great church, and uh, we want to be one. You want to be a person like that. You choose. Just make the choice. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for creating us as an act of your will. We sit here this morning self-aware. We can think. We can choose. And you died for us, Lord Jesus. You gave your life so we could live with you. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We weren't good enough to be given it. But because you died, we trust Believe, accept the gospel, and you give us the gift of eternal life. You adopt us into your family. You call us sons and daughters, the Most High God. And, and here we are living life. Lord, help us not to live it the way the world does in despair. We want to live with joy and happiness because of you. We choose to set our mind on you and the things above, looking forward to heaven.